Our scripture reading this morning is taken from 1 Corinthians 7, verse 17 to 24. John? Yep. 24. It's a wee bit shorter. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a bond servant when you when called? Do not be concerned about it, but if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freed man of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called is a bondservant of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. So, brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God." This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, good morning. Um, if you don't know me, my name's Jonathan. <clears throat> I'm one of the pastors here. Um, we are, uh, as you have probably understood by now, we're making our way through uh, Paul's letter to the church in Corinth. Uh, we're in chapter 7 today. Um, last week, Lucas looked at um, the sexual morality uh, section uh, of, of Paul's letter, and he went into the first section of, of chapter 7. Uh, chapter 7, as you can see, hopefully in your Bibles, has kind of three sections to it. Um, uh, and last week, that, that first section looks at kind of Paul's, he's answering some questions uh, uh, that they have asked him about marriage. Um, next week, Lucas will look at this, the section that looks at singleness. Um, but here in this middle section um, that we're covering today, at, at first it can almost seem like a bit of a digression from, from his topic. Um, but my, my goal today is to show that, that it's not. Um, that this section, I think, uh, that we're looking at today is really Paul's... He's hammering home the main point of the entire uh, chapter. Um, before we really dig into the text, um, I want to stress again just how important it is to uh, understand the particular context of the particular people Paul is writing to, um, because I think the more we understand their context, uh, the more we'll understand what Paul is saying, uh, especially in, in this chapter. Um, because as, as you see, we, Paul's, he's been talking about relationships, um, he's been talking about marriage, uh, singleness. He's talking about vocation here in, in this section. Um, but the root of what he's, he's talking about is, is how believers are meant to live in this world now that we're members of God's family. Um, and there's really two things that hopefully we've picked up so far in the letter. Firstly, Paul, he's been stressing uh, to this church that the way of Jesus is very often completely opposite to that of the way of the world. So we've, we've seen that the, the kingdom of, of God is kind of upside down from the kingdom or, or the culture of Corinth. And, and Paul's given examples of this throughout his letter. And we saw last week, look, Lucas looked at 
uh, one of those examples by unpacking um, how this relates to our sexuality or our sexual ethic. And, and we saw that, that God calls us to have a sexual ethic that's, that's really, really different from the world. And look at chapter 6, verse 19 to 20. You see how radically different um, God's sexual ethic is from the world. Where Paul says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? Uh, you are not your own, for you are bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Like, like you, when it comes to a sexual ethic, you, you cannot get more radically different from the world than, than that. Because the, the world says, hey, your body is yours to do whatever you want with. Um, don't, don't let anyone say what you can or cannot do with your body. The Bible says, well, your body's not your own. You've been purchased with a price. And the world says, your body is for self-glorification. It's for self-pleasure. It's, your body's used for gaining things in this world. And the Bible says, actually, your body is for the glorification of your maker. And is, there, is there pleasure to be experienced uh, yes, but, but the, the point of that, of that pleasure, it's not a selfish pleasure-seeking. The point of that pleasure is to point us towards the, the ultimate pleasure, the ultimate satisfaction that can only be found in, in, in God alone. Um, so hopefully we've, we're starting to see that um, this, this point that Paul's made that God's kingdom is, is kind of opposite from the way of the world. The second thing we've hopefully picked up uh, in the letter so far is, is that Paul's writing to a predominantly Gentile audience. Um, so, so they're not all from a Jewish background. So they wouldn't have been as familiar with the way uh, Jehovah has worked through history uh, like the Jews would have. They're kind of strangers and aliens to this way. But, but as we've seen, they're, very, they're actually very zealous. Um, and and this, this Gentile zealousness alongside being told how radically different the way of Jesus is from the way of the world, has led them to asking some really big questions. And so, so they've asked questions like, okay, now that, now that we've been brought into the family of God, now, now that we are now included in God's people, if things are now to be radically different for us, if my life is to be radically different from the way it used to be, what does that look like? How do I relate in the world? What do my relationships look like? What is my, my marriage meant to look like now? What is my singleness and my, my vocation meant to look like now? How does my newfound faith in Christ affect my ordinary relationships in this life? And um, at the beginning of chapter 7, you see one of, those, uh, the ex one of the examples of one of these big questions. So they've, they've asked Paul um, whether th this kind of newfound faith in Christ should mean that a husband and a wife should abstain from sexual relations. And Paul answers them by saying no. Um, and in verses 12 to 16, he addresses another question they had uh, of this question of, hey, what if we're married and, and one of the partners becomes a Christian and the other doesn't? And, and they ask, should, should the believing partner leave the marriage in order to stay pure? And again, Paul says, no, stay in that relationship that, that you were called in faith. Faith in Christ will never uh, destroy the covenant uh, marriage which God has ordained in creation. And he, he does say that if that unbelieving spouse uh, wants nothing to do with the unbelieving partner if, uh, and kind of leaves them and abandons them, then it's okay to, uh, to uh, it's permissible to end that marriage. But the heart of his instruction is, is coming to faith in Christ does not make a person want to um, 
abandon these relationships that are appointed by God, the, what we should be doing is, is sanctifying them. Um, that that the, the believing partner with long suffering and, and prayer and a, a humble exemplary contact, uh, conduct, um, they, should, they should long to win the unbelieving spouse. Uh, sometimes that, that happens quickly. Sometimes that, that happens over a long period of time. Um, but that's his point. So they're, they're asking these big questions of what life now looks like for them. Um, if God's kingdom is so different, then what are these big changes? And this section uh, in our text um, is where we find ourselves. And, and he's, I think it's the, the main point of, his, uh, of, his, um, of the answers that he's giving. So it, it's really short. So let's read it one more time. Uh, verse 17 to 24. It says, Only let uh, each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not to seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commands of God. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a bondservant when called or a slave? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of that opportunity. For he who is called in the Lord as a, as a bondservant or a slave is a free man of the Lord. Likewise, he who is free when he was called is a bondservant of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. So, brothers and sisters, in whatever condition each was called, let him remain there with God. Um, so here's a tip for studying your Bible. Um, keep an eye out for phrases or words that are used repetitively. Um, if there are uh, words or phrases that are used over and over again, that's probably a good indication of, of the main point. And Paul does that here. And if you've noticed, there's three times he, repeat, he repeats the principle that, that he's been laying out in the first part of the, the, the chapter. Uh, in verse 17, verse 20, and verse 24. So verse 17, he says, Let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned him to which God has called him. Verse 20, Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. In verse 24, So brothers, in whatever condition each was called, let him remain with God. And he, um, really, his, his, his main point throughout the entire chapter is, is this. And he makes that point, like we just saw, in relation to, to marriages in verses 1 to 16. Um, I think he'll make it again in the, the, the next section in verses 25 to 40, 40. And in this middle section, I think it's him really driving his, his, his main point home. He says three times, remain in the condition in which you were called. And, and so in between those three verses, he gives two examples or, or applications of this principle. In verses 18 to 19, he uses a, a religious example, circumcision, uncircumcision. In verses 21 to 23, he uses a, a social example, slavery and freedom. And hopefully um, what we can do today is to, to, to see how he's applied it to these principles and then how that applies to our life uh, today. Let me pray for us one more time and ask for some help. Um, Father, we thank you that you love us um, so much more than we love you. You loved us before we ever loved you. Um, help us today, Lord, to, to be reminded of that love. To be, re to be reminded that, that you are um, sovereign over our lives. 
that you've assigned to us and appointed us exactly where we are uh, to be. Um, You know our circumstances this morning. Each and every single person here, you know us. You know what we are going through. You know what our week has been like. Um, So, Spirit, we'd ask for your help. Um, Allow us to learn. Allow us to to have our eyes and our hearts open to to what you have for us today. And you are our teacher today, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, Let me take a wee drink of water. Um, before I think we can understand these applications, um, that repetition thing, I think there's another uh, key word that Paul keeps repeating through this section, and I think we need to understand what he means when he uses this word in order for us to, to really understand the greater point. Um, hopefully you notice this too. He keeps using the word call, or, or calling, or called. Um, nine times he uses this word um, nearly in every sentence, there's two sentences that he doesn't, but sometimes he uses it multiple times in a sentence. So we should try to understand what does he mean by being called. Um, really, the word call is used in three different ways in the New Testament, and two of them are used in this paragraph. Um, so it's important for us to understand his meaning in order to grasp what he's at. So um, in verse 17, when he says, let everyone lead the life in which God called him, And then in verse 24, he says, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. When he's he's saying that, he's he's referring to a divine call um, in which we were drawn into fellowship with with Jesus, uh, drawn to believe in Christ. And here's where we can mix things up a little bit, because we usually use the word calling in in a vocational sense. It's a real Christian thing, isn't it? Like, I feel called to be a a doctor. I feel called to be a, a a lawyer, or a, uh, I called into ministry, I called to be a pastor. That's not the way Paul is using the word eight out of the nine times. Uh, one of the times he does, and that's in verse 20, and your Bible might translate that as condition or as situation there, um, but if you translate it literally, he says, remain in the calling in which you were called. Um, and so the word there, he's, he's using it to refer to your vocation, or your, your station in life. Um, so Paul's saying that, hey, while if you're a Christian, while you are in a certain situation or a certain vocation, um, you'll, have, you'll have experienced another calling in your life. And that is the, the calling of the Holy Spirit that calls you into fellowship uh, with Christ. So put simply, the, the, Paul, the call that Paul is talking about here is the call of God which may come to you in, in, in your vocation, but that call is the power of God converting the soul through the gospel. And turn back to uh, chapter 1. And, and verse 9, I think, helps us understand this a little bit better. And Paul says, chapter 1, verse 9, he says, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of the Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. So, so this calling, this, this calling into faith in Jesus, into fellowship with him, it's different than a, being called to a certain vocation. And the, it's, it, so that's, those, like, those are two different ways to use the, uh, the word call. It's actually different than the third usage of the word in the New, New Testament as well. And the third usage is, is like a general call to all people to believe. Um, so Jesus in Matthew 24 says that his gospel will be preached to, to the whole world, to, to all the nations. Everyone will be, will be called or invited in this way. 
And, but he also says in Matthew twenty two fourteen 14, that while many are called, few are chosen. So Jesus says there's, there's a certain calling and this kind of worldwide call that, that many will hear, but also many will reject. And, but this isn't the calling, that general call is not what Paul is using in, in chapter 7 either. And the, he, it's the call of God which puts us into believing, loving fellowship with Jesus. This powerful, effective call that draws us to the Son. Jesus talks about this. He says in John 6, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 23 and 24. You see it again. It actually has, he uses both types of calling, this general and this effective call in this. He says, we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and a folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. So, so the called are not all of those who hear, but it's those who actually receive it as wisdom. And I think you can actually paraphrase that sentence as uh, Paul says, hey, we call everyone to believe in Christ crucified, but many Jews find this call a stumbling block. Many Gentiles find this call foolishness, but those who are called, that is effectively and powerfully drawn to Christ, well, they find the call, uh, this gospel call to be the power of God and the wisdom of God. Can I just say, if uh, some people might be sitting there thinking, okay, I, I see how you've have taken that from that, but my, it's hard to maybe line that up in my, my mind or my heart. Be patient. Um, uh, continue to, to lean in. Don't run away. Um, continue to ask God. Let's continue to ask God together to help him to, um, uh, to answer our questions that only he can answer. Human reasoning might not be able to answer, but God's reasoning does. Uh, so let's keep asking him to help us understand and submit. But here's our principle again. When Paul says in verse 17, 20, and 24 that we should remain and live with God in the state in which we were called, he means this, to remain in the state in which you were in when you were converted, when you were, were drawn by God into believing and loving fellowship with his son. And that's our principle. Um, let's look at how Paul applied this principle to their particular context and what it means for us today. Um, again, he uses a religious example, circumcision, uncircumcision, and then he uses a social example, slavery and freedom. I think he could have used a number of, of different examples to, to apply this, but he chose these two, um, which were two of the probably the biggest, um, kind of hottest, most uh, contentious topics of their day. Um, his, his first example is uh, 18 to 19. Does anyone have a tissue I could borrow? I don't want to borrow it. I, I'll probably keep it. Um, read verses 18 to 19. It says, Was anyone at this time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Thanks, Rachel. Uh, let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. So he applies the principle in this way. Hey, if you were converted as a Gentile, don't feel like you need to become a Jew. If you were converted as a Jew, don't try to become a Gentile. Back up. <laughs> um, that, that's basically what circumcision and uncircumcision stood for. You don't feel like you need to, to, to become uh, like the other. I wonder what the equivalent would be for us today. 
Maybe it's race. Hey, if you're black, don't feel like you need to become white. If you're white, don't feel like you need to become black. Maybe it's nationality. Hey, if you're, if you're German, don't feel like you need to become Northern Irish. If you're Northern Irish, don't feel like you need to become German. Um, and he gives, a, in verse 19, he gives the theological reasoning for this. He says, For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. And if you translate that verse literally, it's circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing, but keeping the commandments of God is everything. And listen, this would have been the most offensive thing you could have said to a Jew. Like, your circumcision doesn't mean anything. Like, for them, circumcision meant everything. It was their entire identity. It was the way they obeyed. And Paul's saying, nothing. It's, it'd be incredibly offensive to them. And I think in, even in our context, it, it would be offensive to us as well. Because on, on, on one side of it, there's a lot of what he's saying that we're like, yeah, be, be, be who you are. You don't need to change. But what's offensive is his, is his rationale for keeping your cultural distinctive. And because for us, we, we say, uh, be who you are because your particular culture is beautiful or it's meaningful. So um, being white is meaningful. Being black is meaningful. Being German, there's, there's meaningful to, uh, it's meaningful. Being Northern Irish is meaningful. But Paul's rationale is actually kind of the opposite. Circumcision is nothing. Uncircumcision is nothing. White is nothing. Black is nothing. Being German is nothing. Being Northern Irish is nothing. But keeping God's commandments is everything. Therefore, don't try to switch cultures in order to please God. And become, becoming something different externally will not please God. What will please him is your obedience. So stay where you are and obey God. Paul's a different thinker, isn't he? He's, he's so God-orientated. Like everything in life, everything um, falls before the priority of God. Um, now, is Paul uh, saying that we are to never adopt other cultures? Um, is he saying we should never give up certain aspects of our culture and take on certain aspects of others? Um, this is a big one for me. Uh, my mom's from here. My dad is American. I kind of have a, a, a bit of both, but I've been here for a long time, so there's a, a lot of my uh, American culture that I've laid aside and taken on more of here. Um, and Paul, is, Paul isn't saying that. He's not giving a blanket uh, condemnation of, of, of cultural adaptation. Because um, in Acts 16, remember, he actually um, tells Timothy, who is not circumcised, to become circumcised. So he's saying kind of the opposite there. But the reason is because Timothy's about to go on a, a missionary journey with him, and they're going to encounter a lot of Jews and Timothy's actually a bit of a, his, his mother was Jewish, his father was a Gentile. And so Paul says, hey, we're going to circumcise you for the sake of, of reaching more people here. And Paul himself in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he says, hey, I become all things to all men in order that I might save some. So Paul can be a bit of like a, a social or a cultural chameleon in order to, to be more successful on his mission of reaching people for Jesus. Paul's certainly not against cultural adaptation. But I think he, here he's warning them not to ad adopt changes in order to please God or, or in order to be more right with God. That's what we call legalism. He's saying, no, that doesn't make any difference at all. 
His point is he's trying to show them that obedience to the commands of God is so much more important than your cultural distinctive that the mere changing of of these distinctives uh, should be of no real importance to, to the Christian whatsoever. In other words, he's saying, don't make such a big deal out of uh, whether you're circumcised or not, whether you're of a particular race or of a particular tradition. Instead, make a big deal out of obedience. Make the whole aim of your life to, to obey Jesus, to be like him, to, obey, to walk in his ways. And actually, it's, it's then and only then that that, that brings beauty to our, to our various different cultural contexts and distinctives kind of in a secondary way, as, as ways of, of expressions of our obedience of faith, our culture distinctives becomes beautiful in that way. And we can paraphrase Paul's application like this. Hey, don't fret, but also don't boast about your present state of cultural distinctives. They are of little importance to God compared to whether you are devoting yourself, soul, mind, and body to obeying his commandments which in, in Galatians 5.14, uh, his commandments are summarized as, hey, love your neighbor as yourself. Look at his, the second application in verse 21-23. Another hot topic of the day, slavery and freedom. Verse 20, he says here, let me say it again. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a slave or a bondservant when you were called? Don't be concerned about it. Uh, don't, don't let it trouble you. Uh, don't worry about it. Um, now, I think for all of us, we can hear that and be like, okay, um, but, but what if you're a slave? Were you, called, were you a slave when God called you? Don't worry about it. Don't let it trouble you. Although, if you can gain your freedom, do so. Alistair Begg says the point of, uh, that Paul's making in both of these illustrations is that irrespective of our circumstances, it's still necessary and it's still possible to live a faithful Christian life, no matter what circumstance you're in. And now, I think we need to understand that, that the slavery that we have in mind that has kind of scarred our relatively recent past is, is, is a bit different than the slavery in, in Paul's context. So we think of of um, people being entrapped and kidnapped, taken from their homes into forced labor. Um, it wasn't necessarily the same kind of slavery in the, in the Roman Empire. In the context of the Roman Empire, around 50% of the population were uh, regarded as slaves at one point. Um, some of them definitely in dreadful circumstances for sure, um, but many of the slaves were, were actually more educated, uh, more, more literate, more skillful than uh, the average freed person. So slaves could be doctors, could be teachers, they could be accountants, uh, business owners. Um, some people were born into slavery. Some people voluntarily um, became a bond servant for a period of time, and maybe they were in debt or whatnot. But the point is, no matter what your circumstance as a slave, uh, you're still considered lower in society because you were owned. And Paul says the main issue in your life it's not that you change your external circumstance. The main issue in life is that God changes the attitude of your heart. So if you were a slave when you were called, don't let it bother you. For he who was called when the Lord called him is a free man in the Lord. Likewise, he who is free in the, uh, when the Lord called him is a slave to Christ. 
Beck says the point is, is only sin can keep us from obeying the Lord. Our, our circumstances can't. Only sin can keep us from obeying the Lord. Our circumstances can't. I wonder if that speaks to your heart today. Are you so caught up in your circumstances? If only I could change my circumstance. Um, if, if, if only I could change that, uh, then I could be happy. Then, then I could really be in a position to serve the Lord. It's, it's because of this job I'm in. If only I could find something better. If only I could find someone to do this with. And Paul says, no, don't think that way. His point, his point is, the gap between free and slave was wide, but through Christ, God has actually bridged that gap. I love Paul's, his gospel reasoning in verse 22. And Paul always points out that the gospel is the great equalizer. And so he, he speaks to the slave, but he also speaks to the free. He turns to the slave who, who, who may feel hopeless, who may feel less than. And he says, listen, in Christ, you are a free man. You were bought with a price. Let no man enslave your soul. Rejoice in the Lord. Hope in him. And you will find, you will be freer than any of the anxious nobles. And then he looks to the noble free man and he says, hey, don't you become proud. You were bought with a price. Um, for in Christ, you are a slave, and you must be humble and submissive to your master. He's, he's, he's pointing out that in the gospel, there, there's both an antidote for despair in menial jobs, but also an antidote to, to pride in, in highly esteemed jobs. The gospel tells us that our, our only hope is in Christ, and our only boast is in Christ. He's pointing out because of the gospel, those of us who are in Christ, no matter what our current circumstance, we are free in him. But at the same time, we are also slaves to Christ. So we fret not, but we also boast not about our current circumstances. And maybe you're here today and you feel stuck. You feel discouraged. You might feel like a failure. Maybe you look around and you think, I'm not like them. I don't have the job that they have. I don't have the importance that they have. Look at their life, if only. And Paul says, fret not. Don't be concerned about those things. God is sovereign. He has ordained you to be exactly where you are. He's assigned your, your position in life. Your circumstances are not keeping you from being faithful and obedient to Jesus. Jealousy might, envy might, discontentment might. And Paul says, remember, you've been called. You are in Christ. Your, cur your current circumstance may seem shaky, but your future is glorious. God loves you. You have a father who values you. He loves you and he values you enough to send his only son to come and die for you. And if you preach those gospel truths to your soul over and over again, you will gain a new perspective for your circumstances. 
That's why Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can endure anything because I have Christ. Nothing compares to his love and his presence. I think this is what he means by, are you a slave when you're called? Don't be concerned about it. Again, don't, don't, don't hear what Paul isn't saying. So he's, he's not against changing jobs. He's not, he's not against gaining an education. Um, he's not against, um, he's not saying it's wrong to, to work hard and advance in your career. He's not saying if you're a slave, never stop being a slave. I think he's simply, just like Jesus does over and over again, he's reminding us to check our hearts to be more concerned with the internal realities of the heart rather than your external circumstances. Ask yourself why questions a lot. Better yet, surround yourself with people who will ask you why questions a lot. Are you going for that promotion or the career change? Are you going for that second or third degree because you think it will satisfy you? Because you think it will put you in a better position for happiness? because you think it will put you in a better position to, to serve God better, because you think, if I get this, then God will be more pleased with me. That's not what the gospel says to us. That's not preaching the gospel to yourself. Paul says, be concerned with what God is doing. Be, be concerned with what he wants for you. How can, how can you be best served to uh, be, be used to serve him? Are you most concerned with obedience to him and being in his presence than anything else in life? Those are the questions we should ask that should inform our decisions. And again, he gives us a, a, a theological reasoning for this in verse 23. The, the reason we should be concerned with what God wants for us, with what God can do for us, with how we can best serve him, rather than being concerned with what we want for our lives, with what we can do for ourselves, the reasoning is because you were bought with a price. We are not our own, Paul says. Look at verse 23. He says, you were bought with a price. We heard this before. So at the end of chapter 6, he said it. He said, you were bought with a price, therefore glorify God with your body. And he repeats it again here. You were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. And here he's, he's, he's actually painting this rather beautiful picture that, that these particular people would have understood. And because in the ancient world, it was possible for a slave to, to actually buy his freedom. And so what they would do is, um, is if you could, uh, a slave would work like a second job alongside working for their master. And over time, they, they would save up money. And what they would do is they would, they would take that money to a, a temple of any of the, the gods uh, that they would worship. And they would deposit that, that money over, and over time in that temple. And once they had saved up enough to, to, to purchase their freedom, they would take their earthly master to that temple and the, the priest of that temple would then discharge the money uh, to the owner, purchasing his freedom. And the, symbolically, uh, the, the slave would become uh, a slave to the god of that temple and, and therefore would no longer be responsible to their, their earthly master because a purchase, a, transac a transaction had taken place. He had been liberated from his earthly master and would then be enslaved to the God of this temple. And that's exactly the, the picture that, that Paul provides here, but he, he applies it in a Christian term. He knows that, hey, they've not been bought with precious gold and silver. They've been bought with the precious blood of Christ. 
They have now, as a result of Christ shedding his blood on the cross, they've been set free from all the enslavements and entanglements of this world. They've been enslaved to Christ, purchased by Christ, so that they no longer need to be in bondage by the hands of any earthly man. Isn't that amazing? John Piper says this, he says, So whenever a person is a slave or a freed man, it ought not to be the the cause of his despair or his pride. They ought to be able to say, never mind. They ought not to boast if if they are a doctor or a lawyer or a business owner. And they ought not to be self-pitying or depressed if they have a job that society esteems less highly. I think this is the beauty of the church of Jesus Christ, isn't it? Unity and diversity. Like, the, like no other place in the world we find a barista alongside doctor, a stay-at-home parent alongside professional athlete, a lawyer alongside pastor, black alongside white, male alongside female, all one in Christ, all equal in Christ, all gathered to, to, to pledge allegiance to Christ. Isn't that amazing? So brothers, Paul concludes in verse 24 In whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. With God. Like that's that's a key crucial uh, phrase. Two small words that make a huge, huge difference. He says there's nothing in this life that matters more than staying close to God and enjoying his presence day by day by day. What matters is not where you work, but whether they are with God, enjoying his presence as they work. What matters is not whether your job is, is, is high or low in man's eyes. What matters is that you are being encouraged and humbled daily in your work by the presence of God. One of my favorite, favorite wee books is a book by Brother Lawrence called The Practice of the Presence of God. And it's all about his life goal is to practice the presence of God, to, to be with him, to, to, to pray without ceasing, to go day by day aware of God's presence with him. And the thing I love about him is he's, he, he wasn't a, a, a big leader. He wasn't a pastor of, a, of, a, of any church. He's just a lay brother. He worked in a kitchen. And, but the way he, he talks about just dwelling in the presence of God is, is just amazing. He wrote this about his time of working in the kitchen. He says, the time of business does not differ for me from the time of prayer. Isn't that amazing? His his time on his knees in prayer, he didn't know any difference from that than working in the kitchen. He says, in the noise and the clatter of my kitchen, while several persons at the same time calling for different things... I possess God and a great tranquility as if I were on my knees at the blessed sacrament. Be with God no matter where you are, no matter what your job is, you're with him, he's with you. Enjoy him. So just to conclude here, um, putting the two applications of Paul's principle together, um, his teaching seems to be this. Um, so obeying the commands of God, verse 19 and enjoying the presence of God, verse 24, are so vastly more important than what your culture is or what your job is that the Christian should feel no compulsion whatsoever to to change their position. We're we're free to to, to do whatever we wish, whether that is to stay put 
whether that is to move and change, we're free as long as our hearts and our decision is motivated by, by a desire to be with God, to enjoy his presence, to, to obey his commands. He's everything to us. Just as we close, turn over to uh, Philippians chapter 3. And, and uh, Philippians is another letter that Paul wrote to another church. But I, I love uh, Philippians 3 because, um, because we see Paul practicing what he preaches. He's living out in, in, in that section what he had just told uh, the church in Corinth, in Corinth to do in chapter 7 in 1 Corinthians. Is Paul practicing what he preaches? Um, chapter 3, verse 1, he says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. He says this a lot to his brothers and sisters in the Christ. Rejoice in the Lord. Be happy. Take joy in your heart in the Lord. Verse 2 says, Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. What does that remind you of? Reminds you what he said in, 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 in chapter 7. Put no confidence in the flesh. Circumcision, nothing. Uncircumcision, nothing. And we worship by the Spirit of God. We glory in Christ Jesus more than any of these external circumstances. We put no confidence in the flesh. He goes on and he says, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks they have reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. He lists his credentials, circumcised on the eighth day, the people of Israel, tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrews, etc., etc. Verse 7 says, but whatever gain I had, he looks back on all these uh, external uh, circumstances, all these external things he could boast in. He looks back and he says, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. They don't mean anything. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things. I count them as rubbish. My cultural distinctives, my state in this world, rubbish. Doesn't matter. I count them as rubbish in order that I may what? Gain Christ. That's all that mattered to him. That I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, that comes from circumcision, that comes from any external thing, but that which comes through faith in Christ Jesus. Righteousness that God, uh, righteousness from God that depends on faith. For Paul, everything in the world was secondary. Everything meant nothing compared to knowing Christ, compared to being with him, compared to enjoying him compared to uh, his obedience to God. Skip ahead to chapter 4. Verse 11, he says, Not that I'm speaking uh, of being in need. Listen to this. He says, For I have learned in whatever situation I'm to be content. I've learned in whatever situation he finds himself in to be content, to remain with the Lord, to be with him. Verse 12, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In every and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of, of, of facing plenty and hunger, 
uh, of having abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Listen, the, the, the reason he can be content, the reason he can be brought low and abound, face plenty, face hunger, abundance and need, is because Christ strengthens him and because none of those things ultimately matter to him. He just said in chapter 3, he counts everything in this world as lost compared to knowing Jesus, compared to being with him, compared to, to enjoying his presence, compared to uh, being obedient to him. Gaining Christ enjoying his presence, remaining obedient to him, no matter what our circumstance. That's everything for Paul. And he's he's showing us that this is possible if you are a Jew, if you are a Gentile, if you are a slave, if you are free, if you are married, if you are single, whether you have a job that's highly esteemed or one that seems lower. All of these things are secondary compared to being with Jesus and following his commands. In whatever condition you are called, remain there with God. There's a lot of different uh, areas that you can apply this to, um, but one of them I think is beautiful is this is how God grows his church, and this is how, this is how the gospel is spread. Um, not by every believer uh, dropping everything that they, uh, that they had at the moment that they were saved, going to seminary, going into full-time ministry, going to work for their church. The church doesn't need that. The church needs lawyers who practice the presence of God and obey his commands in their everyday job. The church needs baristas who remain in their job to show the world what real Christ-like hospitality looks like and therefore spreading the gospel around them. We need teachers who love Jesus more than anything in their lives and as a result stay in their jobs and the world and show the world what gospel-shaped love and care actually look like. We have this phrase, ordinary people doing ordinary things with gospel intentionality. That's the way we, we do mission. That's the way the, the, the gospel is spread. Whatever your circumstances, remain with God. Obey him. Enjoy his presence. Be content. He matters more than anything else. Let's stand and pray.